0: Well, good morning. good morning. Hope you're doing well this morning. There will be no alerts of the World Cup on your phone. Amen. <laughs> I'm watching you. It's dark, but I can see you. All right? Everybody turn off their phones, alarms, whatever the case is. Go Argentina. Messi, we want you to score many goals. Amen? Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Maybe that's... Anyway. Um, I just want to say welcome, and I'm so glad that you're here today. I have absolutely watched and witnessed King Jesus do something in Trish and TJ that I will never forget. And I'm just asking you to partner with us and praying for them. I'm so grateful to welcome you guys here and being a part of the family and love you guys. love you guys deeply. Um, so I, I want to ask you a question. When you t- hear the word expect, what do you hear and how do you define that? The word expect or I expect this to happen. When we say that word, we are saying that something is likely going to happen or it will most likely happen and that we are looking forward to it. We are looking forward to it. It's going to happen. It's been told to us that it's going to happen and we're looking forward to that happening and can't wait for it. There's an excitement, there is an elation, there is anticipation. There is maybe some anxiousness. There's all kinds of emotions and feelings when we when we talk about the word expectation or maybe something that we expect. Perhaps like in examples of that, if you um, if you see a pregnant mother, then well, let me make sure make sure that it's a pregnant mother, okay? And you expect a baby to come, right? Okay, it's okay. That was that was my own. Okay, that was a mistake I made. Really bad. Um, I, I anyway. We'll keep going. So you see, uh, you see dark clouds, and you can expect. Oh, there's a storm that's going to happen. Um, you can uh, you could see. Hey, it's Christmas time. There's lots of Chris, there's Christmas, and you have Christmas traditions, and so you can expect. Hey, that this is what we're going to do. We're going to go eat at this place. We're going to eat with them on at this time. We're going to eat with them on this time. Those are some expectations. You know, that, that we all have. Um, there's a lot of expectations, like when you're young and you say, hey, I am going to get married one day. I expect to get married. I'm young or I'm, this is how old I am. My parents got married. I'm going to get married. And you can expect that, hey, this, this is what's going to happen to me. You can expect that you're going to get married. Well, here's what's going on. 600 years. Like Ryan said last week, the prophet Isaiah made a prediction, made a, he prophesied and gave a word of the Lord that the Messiah was going to come. And then there was this thing called the intertestamental period where God was silent for 400 years. So here you have a group of people that are expecting the Messiah to come and they're holding on for dear life. To remember that promise. To remember those things that were told to them. To remember the scriptures. Hey, he's coming. Hey, he's going to come. Hey, he's coming. They're familiar with the scriptures. They're familiar with the word of God. Then you have a group of people over here that are saying, Well, you know what? He said he was and he's not. He's not going to deliver his promise. He can't be trusted. And so here's what takes place. They decide that they want to take God's place. And there's rebellion that's taking place. And there's many people among the Jewish people and, and even more than that are saying, you know what, he is not, he's not going to live up what he said he was going to do. We expected him to deliver and he didn't. But then you have a couple that are holding on to the word that was given to him, and that's where we pick it up in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at an individual, a guy named Simeon, and a lady named Anna. So we have Simeon, and we have Anna, and all the Christmas people that we talk about, the shepherds, we're going to talk about the shepherds on our Christmas Eve service, which is on Christmas Eve at 5 o'clock, and it's going to be Here. Okay, that's good. So we'll talk about the shepherds um, Saturday night at 5 o'clock. Last week, Ryan talked about Elizabeth and Zechariah and the coming of John the Baptist to get us ready for King Jesus who was coming. And so today we're going to look at Jesus has come into the world and we run into these, these people that God sovereignly brings together at the temple for the dedication of the firstborn child, and we run into Simeon and Anna. You you see, here's what what they're holding on to, this remnant who's still believing in the promise. They're holding on to these verses that we often read at this time of year. So Isaiah 7.14, I don't have that on the screen for you, but I'm gonna read that for you right now. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear, bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Six hundred years before this happened, um, this is the prophet Isaiah getting a word from God and telling the people there is a Savior who is coming to the world. You can expect that. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For, us, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of, say it, peace. And then Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old and from everlasting. These are the words that Simeon and Anna and some like them are holding on to because they are expecting God to do what he said he was going to do. But they are surrounded by a bunch of people that don't believe that he's going to do what they do. They're doubting, they're confused. So Simeon and Anna are in this area of Jerusalem and they are believing what God said that he was going to do. And I think ultimately, there's one giant, giant lesson that we're going to learn at the end. Uh, there's many lessons that I think that we could learn through the story of Anna and Simeon. I think there's a lot that we can learn, um, but I want to summarize it into one lesson. I'm going to hold I'm going to hold your attention. We're going to we're going to cover that at the very end of the message. We're going to work through the text together, beginning in Luke two, verse twenty two. And so here we are, they are expectantly waiting the Messiah. We don't know anything about it either of them very much. And so the background here is that when you have a child, a firstborn child, that's born as Jews. So, so Mary and Joseph understand that the word of God, the law, basically says you take your firstborn son, you take him to the temple around 30 days after he is born, And you dedicate him to the Lord. Okay? So that's the background of what's happening. So Mary and Joseph have their son Jesus. They make their way up to Jerusalem. It's a long walk. They're young. They don't have a lot of money. Let's pick it up and read in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, which was that was the word of God. That's what they followed, and they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens a womb shall be called the holy, called holy to the Lord. Holy means set apart. This is one that is set apart by the Lord. This is not just an ordinary child. We know that because the prophecy has said he will be born of a virgin. So we go back and we take a look. And what does it say in verse 24? And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Why in the world does it say turtle doves and young pigeons? What we need to see here is that Mary and Joseph do not come from lots of money. They are young. They are called by God to do something supernatural. They don't have a lot. So, if you don't have a lot of money to use maybe a bull or a goat, then what you do is you take turtle doves and you take pigeons. And so the law said you go to the temple, the law said you dedicate your firstborn child to the Lord. And here is a novel idea, Northwest. Let's live according to what the word of God says. Amen? That this is Mary and Joseph hearing that the word tells them to do this, and guess what? They're doing exactly what they're instructed to do. I pray that that would encourage us. And so here they are. They come up. They dedicate. They give a turtle dove and a pigeon. And now verse 25, and here is where we are introduced to Simeon. Guys, I really want you to pay attention to the way that Simeon is living his life. I, will th- I think that you're going to see someone living With an open Bible, an open life, and an open faith, I think you're going to see someone who is truly a disciple of God and is waiting for the Messiah. So let's take a look at Simeon. No matter how old you are in this room, I pray that you'd be encouraged by this. What does it say in 25? There was this man in Jerusalem. We don't know where he came from. Don't know who his parents were. Doesn't know if he has lots of money or little money or whatever. So this is what we know. He's, he's, he's in Jerusalem, whose name was Simeon. And this man was here. Who was he? He was righteous and devout. And he was patient because he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. Oh, my word. May that be said about us men at Northwest. They say your name. And it's like, oh, he's devout. He is righteous. He is patient. The Holy Spirit is on him. And when that takes place, when the Holy Spirit is on you, guess what? People will see the difference. They will say, he's different. He talks different. He walks different. He doesn't joke like everybody else. He's different. And here's, he's devout and he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting. And so here's, we come down in verse 26. So the Holy Spirit is on him. And verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit this is unbelievable, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Okay, he was just told that he's not going to die until he beholds the Savior of the world. Okay, if that's me, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to the Alps and I'm putting on a spider suit and I'm jumping off. I'm flying. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I am not, he's not going to see death until he beholds the Christ child can imagine his confidence can imagine him he's waiting you're going to see him one day you're going to see him then one day the spirit of the living god one day now he's been waiting studies show that sibian is sometime around 100 and somewhere around 120 years old I, I will say that could possibly be speculation but around 120 years old and so here he is, he's been told, don't know when he was told or how long this took place, but he's told, you're not going to see death until you behold the Christ child, the Lord's Christ. You're not going to see death. And then the text in 26 says, well, then he jumps up and he runs to the temple. So just picture, he's, he's laying in his bed and all of a sudden the Lord wakes him up. He jumps up, he puts on his sandals, and he is running to the temple because the Lord, the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, has said, today's the day. Today's the day. You're gonna see him. You're gonna see him face to face. And let me tell you this right now. In my life, in your life, I would like to tell you that I have been awakened by the Holy Spirit more than it has happened to me. I remember one time Dan and I were married probably about five years. I was awakened, and I jumped out of the bed and got down next to the mattress and looked up. My sweet wife looked at me, and she said, what are you doing? I said, I I wanted to say the Holy Spirit has awakened me because I'm so righteous and devout, But what I told her at this moment was, the spider is about to drop on me. (laughs) And then I woke up. I was in a dream. So Simeon, how is Simeon awakened? Simeon is awakened by the Holy Spirit. Go to the temple because today's the day, man. You're going to see him. You're going to see him. What What does he do? I can imagine the elation, the excitement, the anxiety, the thrill. So he runs. He gets up and says, so so he walks over to him. Let's go to 27. Verse 27 says this, and he uh, he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. Verse 28, here it is. He took him up in his arms and he blessed God. He's that guy. He walks in and says, Give him to me. Give him to me. I just want to hold him. Give him to me. Grabs him and holds him up and he just blesses him. I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you. The Lord Jesus has told me that the the God, the Holy Spirit has told me that you are going to come. And I'm just telling you, I have been to the temple many times, and I have seen many families dedicate their firstborn son, but I'm just telling you right now, you're different. You're different. Just walks up and grabs him. Verse 29, what does it say? 29 says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. He's saying, I've seen him. I can leave here in peace. My life is complete. You said that he was going to come. I believed that you were, that he was going to come. There might have been some times where I might have questioned a little bit, but overall, Lord, I believe. But help my unbelief and he stood firm and then he runs to the temple. He grabs that child and he blesses him and says, "Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace." According to your word. Verse 30. For, look at, this is beautiful. For my eyes have seen your salvation. 31. That you have prepared in the presence of all people. Listen, what you're doing right now is you are preparing an answer for sin. And you're sending your son, Jesus, to take care of that. And you're doing that in front of all people. Whether you're a Gentile or whether you're a Jew. Thirty-two. A light for revelation to the Gentiles, meaning this message, this savior, this baby, this Christ, this, the Lord of salvation, this is for the Gentiles. And not only that, look at the first part, the rest of 32, and for the, and for glory to your people, Israel. So Simeon prays to God, a prayer of thankfulness. I'm good. I can, I can leave. He said there would be one that would come in, and Simeon is standing in the temple, and he literally is holding him. He's holding him. Then he prays for Mary and Joseph, and this is 33. Verse 33 says this. um, And his father and his mother, Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said about him. Remember, when we are living a life that is full of God's spirit, we are righteous and we are devout. There will be people that will be blown away by the things that we say because it's coming from God. We are are demonstrating, we are exuding the fruit of the spirit. There's something different when we are in Christ. Verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled at what he was saying, And 34, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, he gets real honest in his prayer. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Here's what he's saying. He is looking at him and he's telling him right now that the son who is being born right now, yes, he's a baby and yes, we are dedicating him. And you know this, he's the savior of the world. And in order for the savior of the world to pay for the sins of the world, he's going to have to suffer. And that's going to hurt your mama heart. And Simeon is praying over that for Mary. It's going to hurt because he came with a purpose. Jesus came with a purpose, and that purpose was to fix something that we could not fix. And that sin that separates us and robs us of having the peace that Simeon is enjoying right now is not possible until the sin issue is answered. And so here it is in God's plan. Another thing that we can see in here, in God's sovereign plan, what does he do? He has the temple. He brings Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus to the temple at the same exact time, not coincidental. He has um, Simeon there. And then he also has a lady. And this is, ladies, I just want you to be encouraged by Anna's life. And there's a lady named Anna. And we'll take a look at Anna. By my calculations, she is, um, well, she's around 84 years old. And there was a prophetess, her name is Anna, the daughter of Benuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84 so we, we understand that she was married sometime around, let's say, 15 years old at that time. Let's, we're guessing. She lived seven years with her husband. Her husband passed away. And when a woman loses her husband, she loses really resources and, and, and status in the society at that time. So she did not remarry. She was a widow for 60 plus years. And this is what she did during those years. And and then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple. Or maybe you understand that that's the gathering of public worship. That's the people of God. She did not stop mingling among the people of God. So what did she do? She did not depart from the temple. She was worshiping. And how did she worship? She fasted. She gave up a meal so that she could focus on Jesus, on God, on on the promise, on the expectation that the Messiah was going to come. People saying, oh, God forgot about us. God forgot about us. Do you see all this despair? And Anna is someone like Simeon sitting in the temple just going, I believe he's coming. I'm expecting him to come. She did not depart from the temple. She worshiped. She fasted. And it says, and praying night and day 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says pray without ceasing. Anna is an example of that. She doesn't stop praying. In verse 38, oh my gosh, I love 38. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks. And so she walks up at the very hour of the dedication. You have Jesus, you have Simeon, you have Mary, you have Joseph. She comes up at this very hour, and what does she do? And it says that she thanks God and... um, She speaks to him, speaks of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She was a disciple of the God of the universe. She was married, her husband died. And one of the greatest things that I think I've learned about Anna is that Anna Was gossiping the gospel. Anna was gossiping the gospel. Here she is, what is she talking about? She's talking about, he's coming, he's coming. And then she sees him. She's in the temple. And what does she do? She starts talking of him to everyone that's around her. I don't know about you, but I want to have that reputation. And I want you to have that reputation. And our community needs us to have that reputation that what we are doing is that we are gossiping the gospel in our city. So for the fame of the name of Jesus and not our own, it's not the name Northwest and it's not the pastors. It is plain and simple, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all the time. And Anna is sitting here and she's saying, I give thanks God for you giving him to us. And I give thanks, and so therefore, I'm thanking you, and I'm going to tell all those that are around me about him. What un- what's-, what's unbelievable to me is this to- the thought that Anna, who loses her husband at a very young age, you would think, well, how is she cared for? How is she watched over? We, we-, we don't know those things, but certainly. There was sickness that was involved in her life, and if she didn't have a husband, then there might have been some financial things that could have been going on. But here's the issue with Anna right now. the What sticks out in what the what the text is talking about is she didn't let the situation that she was going through distract her from a purpose of being someone, a woman, to tell of the beautiful things that God is doing and will do. She had seen many couples come to the temple to dedicate their child like Simeon. And like Simeon. She says he, he, this is different. This is different. So what's our lesson for today? What's our lesson? We'll get to the lesson. Don't put it up. Well, there it is right now. Is it on the screen? Let me let me let me tell you this. Um At Christmas time, we are saying very boldly, and every time here at Northwest, that the Messiah has come and it is Jesus. And the only way that you and I can have peace in this world is by beholding the savior. The only way that Simeon could leave this world in peace was beholding Jesus. And the only way that you and I can live in this world with peace and depart in peace is by beholding the Savior. 2005, Charlotte, North Carolina. My friends from Gardner-Webb, we get together every year. We're in downtown Charlotte, staying at a hotel. We got tickets to the Bobcats. They were the Hornets, then the Bobcats, now they're the Hornets again. Michael Jordan was the owner of the team. We got tickets to go down and eat at this place. And we had seats that are like on the second row. And it was unbelievable. We went there and we were eating and they said, hey, before you go out to your seat, you can line up with these stanchions, like a movie theater divider. You can stand right here. You can high five the players as they're going in. All of the Charlotte Bobcats at the time. You can high five them as they're going. And so... I stood there right at the elbow. So you got to come down and then go this way. So coming down this way, the team's coming out of the locker room, and then they're going down that way to the stadium. And I'm literally standing like right there. And I'm high-fiving all these guys, looking up, you know, seven feet tall. And, I, you know, I can't even remember all the players. And then all of a sudden, his airness is the last one, Michael Jordan. Is the last one. And he's walking down, and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's nobody behind me. He was with his girlfriend. And I'm like, that is Michael Jordan. Not sure you know this or not. I'm a Carolina fan, okay? Um, I saw Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player to ever play the game. He came. And all of a sudden, they stopped him, and they stopped him right in front of me. And we dabbed it up. And he gave me a bro hug. And I want to let you know something. I was elated. I was excited. I gossiped, I was gossiping my meeting with Michael Jordan for a very long time. Matter of fact, I'm still talking about it, and it's several (laughs) years later. Here's the deal, i want to tell you this right now. There is a great need in this world for peace and Michael Jordan or anyone like it does not give it to us. He can't, it's impossible. We can get elated with stars and celebrities and influencers and whatever the case might be. We can get seriously influenced by all kinds of people but here's what the issue is. The scripture says that there is a peace that is missing because of sin has been interrupted. Because sin has interrupted the perfect peace that you and I once had with God the Father. You and I, human beings, were born into the world with perfect peace um, with God. When sin entered the world, that peace has been fractured. And there are lots of things that we seek to get that peace. There is a lack of peace in our mental health, in our psychology, there's a lack of peace inward. I, I seriously wrestle with anxiety, and it's new, and I praise God that I've gotten victory in, in the last couple of months about that. Medicine, counseling, but there is a, there is a, 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 a peace and, and, and an uncomfort, and, a, and, and it's, it's chaotic, and it's inside, and, and we get wrapped up in, oh my gosh, I need peace, I need peace and my mind i can't rest and then there is relational peace and i don't know about you but you know there's some folks we just don't get along with and guess what next week we're going to spend time with them <laughs> merry christmas <laughs> <laughs> and there is this there's this emotional peace or this psychological this mental Uh, unsettling in our minds, and then there's this relational situation that we have with, with relatives or friends, and we're not in harmony, and there is this spiritual peace that we desperately need, and we're trying to fill it with something that does not complete, and Simeon and Anna are running to us and saying, he's come. I beheld him. I'm beholding him. The Lord's salvation has come, and he's here, and his name is Jesus. And here's what that baby grew up to say. He grew up at 33 years old, right before he went to the cross. They were asking, we want to go with you. We want to go with you. We want to go with you, Jesus. He says, no, no, no. I've got to go and prepare a place for you that where I am, you may come. I'm coming again. Listen to me. I'm coming again. So we can sit Like Simeon and like Anna waiting for the second return of Christ. But in the midst of that, let us have peace by the Prince of Peace. Because peace is a person. Jesus is the peace of the world. Nothing else but Jesus. Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And as we sit, as we sit, and as we wait, Whatever you're going through right now, whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever circumstance, whatever relational fracture, whatever um, thing that's going on, let us live our lives one day at a time, taking a step towards the God of the universe who's made himself known by King Jesus. The only way we can leave this world is by having a relationship with him. That's the only way. And maybe you're here today and you're like, yep, I've got that peace. I need to be reminded where it comes from. But also, you might be here today and you've said, I do not have um, relational peace with God. And the reason is, I'm not a believer. During this last song, I'm going to challenge you to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. And I'm asking you. To give me the peace of the world. And guess what? He will. I'm not asking you to have all the answers. I'm saying the peace of this world is not found in the world. The peace of this world is found in Jesus. And He's good. And He's good. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, I love you and I thank you for who you are. God, I recognize that there could be somebody in here today that does not know you. And I'm asking you in Jesus' name, will you save them today? God, will you through your power of your Holy Spirit awaken them to their need for you? Will you save them as we sing? God, and I'm also aware that there are many of us that are wrapped up in situations and circumstances and we're really weary and tired and we don't have peace. So I pray that today we'd be reminded that peace has feelings, but peace is a person. And the person is Jesus. And he has wounds on his hands and a wound on his side. say I'm the peace of the world and I've showed you how I am Lord we recognize there is no manger without the cross and there is no cross without the manger so help us today to live expectantly for you you are going to come back let us live for you and like you help us get encouragement from Simeon and Anna as they were waiting for you may we wait the same way be devout, be righteous, be patient, be filled with your spirit, be worshiping, be fasting, and be praying, and be gossiping the gospel because you are so good. Love you. In Jesus' name, amen.